Yeah, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the nine o'clock. So, do you want to come to your feet? Come into the middle if you want to. Our amazing, awesome, worthy God is in the place. He's in the room. We're going to praise him this morning. Good as your mercy endureth forever. 
you're sounding good too. Very good. Why don't you give your neighbour a high five as you take a seat? Uh, who loves that song? That's a great song, isn't it? It reminds me of Psalm 118 verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His love endures forever. Well, we give you a very warm welcome this morning. Great to see you. If this is your first or second time to activate, a special welcome to you as you leave the auditorium this morning. You're most welcome to help yourself to a white visitor's pack at the end of the church or in the foyer. There you'll find a coffee card and we invite you to enjoy coffee with us at the Crossover Cafe. And if you'd like to leave some of your details so we can contact you during the week, we'd love to do that too. So church, can we put our hands together to welcome our visitors this morning? Fantastic. Well, who wants to join me and celebrate their birthday and wedding anniversary and have some chocolate? Because I feel like eating some chocolate. So there we go. So who's going to help me eat some chocolate this morning? Well, Marilyn's coming. Wow. Anniversary. Congratulations. How many years? 26. Wow, that's one. Alan and Tina. Wow. Okay, birthday. Of course, that's right. Wow. How old are you today, Matthew? What? Wow, fantastic. Congratulations. Why don't you stay here? We're going to... Wow, here's Mark and... Fantastic. How many years for you guys? 33. Wow. Congratulations to you guys. Well, why don't we stand to our feet, church, and declare this prayer of blessing over them. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favor, prosperity, purpose, and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness through each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations, guys. Let's give them another hand. Well, a few highlights for you. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, Friday, Good Friday, 10 a.m.? We have a Good Friday gathering here. And on Sunday, this is the important one. Turn to your neighbor. Sunday morning, 10 a.m. only. Yeah, and in the evening, 6 p.m. dinner. So that's going to be good. Yeah, so we're going to have a wonderful time of celebrating Jesus' death and His resurrection. Isn't that awesome? Well, we've got a, a mission slide update. Thank you, Jacob. Look at that. $273,000 with one month to go. Yes, let's put our hands together and give thanks to God and acknowledge one another. One more month to go. The target is just over 300,000. So thank you, church, for your generosity. It's just absolutely wonderful to knowing that the impact that our giving and our sending and our prayers are having around the world. Isn't it wonderful? Fantastic. And this evening, we have, talking of missionaries, Anna and Nam with us in the 6 p.m. gathering. So it's going to be wonderful to have them. So I really encourage you to come along. And that will be a wonderful time of hearing what God is doing through their work in Asia. Also, as we leave the auditorium this morning, can we encourage you to be purposed in your giving? Thank you for your generosity, for what you sow into the church. And also for mums and dads, uh, there will be a take-home question for you to discuss over lunch with your children. So won't that be cool? Well, it's my pleasure to invite Maria. She's going to come and read from Psalm 69, verses 1 to 15. Thank you, Maria. Good morning. This morning I'm reading from Psalm 69, uh, verse 1 to 15. Psalm 69 relates to a point in David's life when he was in a really difficult situation 
and from numerous enemies. And David called upon the Lord's deliverance from the hands of his enemies and the justice of divine punishment from his adversaries. Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water, and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. My enemies try to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I did not steal. O God, you know how foolish I am. My sins cannot be hidden from you. Don't let those who trust in you be ashamed because of me, O sovereign Lord of heaven's armies. Don't let me cause them to be humiliated, O God of Israel. For I endure insults for your sake. Humiliation is written all over my face. Even my own brothers pretend they don't know me. They treat me like a stranger. Passion for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I weep and fast, they scoff at me. When I dress in burlap to show sorrow, they make fun of me. I am the topic, the favorite topic of town gossip, and all the drunks sing about me. But I keep praying to you, Lord, hoping this time you will show me favor. In your unfailing love, O God, answer my prayer with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. Save me from those who hate me and pull me from, those, from these deep waters. Don't let the floods overwhelm me or the deep waters swallow me or the pit of death devour me.
to stand to your feet as we finish. Isn't that an amazing picture of the faithfulness of God no matter what our circumstances? And we're going to sing a new song. Some of you will know it, but some of you may not. Um, What I want you to do is just let this be a time where you can encounter the Spirit of the living God. You know, He is here. The Holy Spirit is filling this place. The Lord Jesus is standing right in front of you. Peace is surrounding you. Hope is smiling on you. The Father of light is standing with you with his arms open wide. So if you don't know the song and you just want to encounter him, just imagine him there. What does he want to say to you? What do you want to say to him? Let us sing this over you. And if you want to sing, then that's fine too. But we're here to encounter him. He's the reason we came. Spirit of the Lord is here. 
Father, we thank you for your presence, Lord. Father, as we open our hearts and raise our hands, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you're the cup that will never run dry. Jesus, thank you that you're the cup of hope that never runs dry. The cup of peace that never runs dry. The cup of joy that never runs dry. Lord, you're the cup of the living water that never runs dry. And so while you're here in the sense and this presence of God, can I encourage you to draw from the living water? If your cup needs hope, draw on the Lord for hope. If you need peace, draw on Him for peace. If you need refreshment from the waters, the living water of life, draw upon Him. Thank you, Jesus. Fill us, Lord, and overflow us, Lord. Father, may this be a place drenched in your hope, drenched in your joy, drenched in your peace. Lord, overflowing in your love, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You're an awesome God. You're an awesome, awesome God, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. your name Lord because you're the one who reigns and Father I declare over every person and every family here today that our God reigns Lord you are awesome Father I declare your grace I declare your favour I declare your protection Lord I declare your shielding because our God reigns thank you Father in Jesus mighty name We love you, Lord. We praise you. We give you thanks. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? Isn't it wonderful to be in God's presence, to praise Him, to worship Him, to draw on Him? There's nothing like it. It really, really is something so special. And Thank you, team. Fantastic. Well, church, it's my pleasure to welcome Pastor Simon. And uh, Simon, we love you, we honour you, we thank you for coming and sharing with us this morning. So let's give Simon a hand as he comes. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Ray. Bless you, church. Good morning. Oh, God is good, is he not? Wonderful, wonderful. Well, as you know, those of you who have been journeying with us here at Activate this year know that the theme for this year is the idea of living purposed, one of the values that we have here in our church. And uh, just to start off with the idea that really lacking a sense of purpose can be dangerous for our well-being, it can be dangerous for our health. I uh, recall a story uh, hearing Pastor John Buchma tells how he attended a community prayer meeting and uh, he was sitting at a table with a group of men that he didn't know. And they started talking about retirement And one man in particular was really looking forward to it. And he shared a conversation that he'd had with his wife earlier that morning. He said, my wife asked, "Uh, what are you going to do when you retire? And I told her, I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to watch TV all day, every day. And the table was silent. And Pastor John Buchma replied. And in one of those moments that is just pregnant with the weight of divine 
uh, grace. He said, if you do that, you'll be dead inside a year. The man looked at Bukma wide-eyed. The whole table went silent, wide-eyed. He looked at him and he said, why? And Bukma said, well, if the lack of purpose in your life doesn't kill you first, your wife will. Which is what I was thinking when I heard it a bit earlier. But in all seriousness, I think this whole idea of the purpose life is so important for us today. Huge around the world. People asking questions all the time because we're always seeking meaning, seeking truth, seeking a sense of purpose, seeking a sense of order in our lives. And so this morning I want to look at the passage that Pastor Sheridan here at Activate Church has aligned with this uh, value of being purposed, and that's Ephesians 2 verse 10. But I want to look particularly, we'll look at the verse in context, so if you can, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, and we'll read from verse 1. Ephesians is a wonderful letter, um, where Paul really emphasizes the themes of unity in the church, and purity, and the role of Christ, and the Spirit in that. So Ephesians 2, reading from verse 1, but we'll focus on verse 10. So here we go, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Once you were dead, Paul writes, because of your disobedience and your many sins. You know, the world today, sin as a concept has disappeared from our consciousness, from our vocabulary. It was once a powerful word, it was a strong word, but the word and the concept have disappeared. And along with it, a sense of personal responsibility. It's been associated with judgment in a culture that values tolerance. But it is a concept that allows me to accept responsibility because I can go, I have sinned before God, I repent. See, it's not your fault necessarily. I can accept responsibility. Get rid of it. Oh, it's society's fault. It's your fault. It's my upbringing. It's my boss. It's whoever. But we've got to understand how serious this whole idea of sin is. I'm not being judgmental here. I'm, I'm just talking about the reality of the human condition. So once we were dead because of our disobedience and our many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, that part of us that leans towards the darkness, that leans towards selfishness over concern for the other. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Paul begins this chapter with a brutally honest description of humanity as subject to the powers of death, sin, the influence of the demonic in this world, and also, because of our sinful nature, the wrath of God. But Paul doesn't lose hope, he doesn't freak out, because he believes that God is for us, and that he loves us. And that that wrath rests on sin, really, but God loves us. Remember, God the Father loved us so much, he sent his Son. So that all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God is not an angry God wanting to smash us. He's a God who loves us and wants to bring us out of the darkness in which we find ourselves. 
And so Paul goes on because he finds hope in God. And he says, but God is rich in mercy, so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, which we celebrate coming up soon. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. There's a major theme in this passage. It's by God's grace, his goodness. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of, the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Jesus. Now, some of the most precious verses regarding the gospel that we have in the New Testament. God saved you by his grace when you believed. If you have the NIV, it will say, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Not good works, so none of you can boast. It wasn't because you, you, you fasted more than anyone. It's not because you're holier than anyone. God doesn't care if you're popular. God doesn't care if you're particularly pretty. It's not about anything we bring to God to earn this salvation. It has nothing to do with us. It, it, it finds itself, its origin in His grace. So salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. That should help us to relax. We don't have to be good boys and girls to get God to love us. He already loves us. Not for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast. Then verse 10, which is the verse that we have aligned with our value of purpose. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There we are. For we are God's masterpiece. So because of his grace, we can know salvation. Because of his grace, we can know true life. Because of his grace, we are now friends and children of God. And because of his grace, we can now live a life of purpose as God intended us. And so this morning, I want to share some reflections on this verse and how it can help us to live a life of purpose before God. And really, I've centered it around two Christian words. And the first word is who. Who? And so, in order to live a purpose life, we need to know who we are in God. We need to know who we are in God. So I just want to reflect on that a bit this morning. We are bearers of God's image in this world. We're new creations. We know that verse A, 2 Corinthians 5.17. For all those who are in Christ are a new creation. We've been recreated. He created us, and then in salvation, He recreated us and is recreating us. Be aware of that. Just as God created the heavens and the earth without our help, so Paul asserts that all who are in Christ are God's creation without our help. We are God's masterpiece. We carry on. Who we are in Christ has nothing to do with our skill any more than the stars hang in the sky because of anything we have to offer. Who we are in salvation and who we are created to be is an act of creation on the part of the loving creator God. And so when we look at this first word, we are God's masterpiece. It's a Greek word, poema. Poema. 
that's been translated masterpiece in the New Living Translation could easily be translated creation. We are God's creation. And it's used in the Old Testament to speak of the material creation around us, but it's also used in another special way where it focuses on the craftsmanship of the Creator. So Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, uses it to talk about the skill of a potter creating a pot. It's also used to speak of a, a writer crafting a poem or writing a piece of prose. And so it's likely that what Paul is talking about here is an intelligent design. It's not just God speaking creation into being. Here there's this idea of sculpting, of writing, of crafting each of us in salvation. And so that's why the Bible translates it in a number. So I've got who I am in Christ. We're God's masterpiece. There's this lovely app on Facebook. It takes a photo and turns it into a painting. I've given that a German name, Umgeben von Schonenkinder, which sounds better than surrounded by beautiful children. But the idea that each of us is a masterpiece of God's. Have a look at how a whole, and this isn't just sort of one wacky interpretation. A whole lot of Bible versions follow this. So in the NIV, we are God's handiwork. The idea of him coming in and using his hands to shape us. Uh, the King James, the, the, the formal translations, such as the New American Standard and the English Standard Version, God's workmanship. Or I love the New Jerusalem Bible, God's work of art. They're all drawing on that idea. We've got to know who we are in God. The world doesn't give me this message. So I've got, to, I've got to draw on the Word of God for this. I love, I, I love the words of the Roman Catholic theologian George Vigel. He, he has this to say. He says, he says, We are not congealed stardust. We are not an accidental byproduct of cosmic chemistry. We are not just something. We are someone. Moreover, we are someone's going somewhere. By God, there are people in this world who need to hear that. Because the message that they hear is you're not someone and you're not going anywhere. I get disappointed with the attitudes I hear from Christians towards the poor. I'll be honest with you. Oh, they got money for KFC and cigarettes. Gee, we've got to be a bit more sensitive than that, don't we, Farnay? You know? We've got to be a bit more sensitive than that. All people in this world bear the image of God. They are someone's going somewhere. And if I haven't walked in their shoes, be very careful when you pick up stones. That's true for all of us, eh? We are someone's going somewhere. As human beings possessed of an innate God-given dignity, we have a divine destiny revealed. So this is about our, our, our identity. I think this is a key thing. We've got to know who we are to live a purposed life. David Benner, a wonderful teacher of Christian wisdom and spirituality, says that having an identity grounded in God, not in what the world says, not in what society says, not in what the culture says, not in my popularity, not in my income, not in my job, but in God, that would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. Just think about that. If my identity is rooted in God, who are you? The first thing I think of is I'm, I'm working on the idea I am loved and accepted by God my Father. That's where I start in terms of my identity. 
Because I've got to replace a whole lot of stuff I've heard over the years. Yeah? See, we've heard lots of messages over the years about who we are. The culture has lots of, lots of stuff to say about who we are. But we've got to come back to the Word of God. Amen? Amen. So I belong to God. I must listen to what He says. Not to the foolish world around me. So I believe that part of living a purposed life is knowing our identity as rooted in Christ. That we are children of God. That we're loved. That we're accepted. You see, I believe you've got to know who you are to be able to do what you've got to do. Think about that for a moment. If, 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 if I'm here listening to voices that are saying, you're useless, you're no good, then I will take that on and that will form my identity. And I won't walk in the purpose that God has for me. I'll walk in some other, so I'll take some other path. Does it make sense? So we've got to know who we are to be able to stand in all that God has for us so we can walk in it. We can say, no. You know, I grew up thinking I was dumb. That wasn't true. I became a Christian, went to varsity, went, oh, I'm quite intelligent. Can't say that, though. I'm a New Zealander. Can't be positive. But I said this message, oh, it's just dumb. Just, just happened. But actually, no. But, but, and it actually takes, to be countercultural. I've got to go, no, I'm not dumb. No, I'm actually intelligent. Who do you think you are? Oh, okay. And you've just got to carry on walking in who God has called you to be. You know, Maria read from Psalm 69. Isn't it a powerful passage? You know, that lament and that struggle. Something the Western church, we've lost a bit. You know, the ability to lament and struggle. But, uh, you know, how can you cry out to God, save me, O God, for the floodwaters are coming up to my neck? You can only do that if you know who you are. I'm a child of God. I can call out to my father. My kids come up to me, Dad, can I borrow some money? Why? Because they know who they are. And they're cheeky. But that, that's, that's stretching the illustration. But you know what I'm saying? They know who they are. My father loves me. I can go up and ask Dad for money because Mum won't give it. So I ask Dad and I get Dad in trouble. But you've got to know who you are to be able to walk in purpose. John Calvin, the great reformer, wrote at the beginning of his Institutes of Christian Religion, nearly all of the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. Knowledge of God, knowledge of self. I get to know God, I learn who I truly am. Then all of a sudden I'm looking at God through new eyes and I see God differently. And I learn more about God. I learn about who I truly am. And there's just this cycle going on through life. I know myself better now at 45 than I did as a young guy. You know? Well, I'm still a young guy, but you know what I'm saying. As an older young guy. In my late, early, middle, late <laughs> years. Bena also reckons that, and I like this, that, that we come to a basic we can come to a place where God's will is communicated to us. He talks about the givens of our beings. The givens of our beings. That, that we can find out who, who we are. We can find out what God's will is in the givens of our beings. Here's what he says. My temperament, my personality, my abilities, my interests, my passions say something about what I was called to be. The great prophet Dr. Seuss said, Today you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. And you are a blessing to the church. Don't rob the church of the blessing of you. 
the, the world and the enemy, they'll try and crush you and say you're no good and say you just back off. But actually, no, don't, don't, don't rob us of the blessing of you because there's no one that is youer than you because God created you that way. God created me. So the talents, the passions, the, the drives, the thoughts that you have speak to who God has created you to be. Knowing who you are in Christ, biblically and uniquely, we can find that life is meaningful and has purpose. So we've got to live purposed, we've got to know who we are in God. Amen? And that'll be a lifelong journey. But we also read in Ephesians 2 that who links with why. And so we see, for we are God's masterpiece and again, he has created Katizo, another idea of creation. We are God's creation. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We find out who we are. We walk in the path and the purpose of doing the things of God. So Paul's rejected the idea of good works earning salvation. Absolutely rejected that idea. But he now shows that the role of good works is as a consequence or an overflow or a response to God's grace and salvation. I don't do good works so God will love me, but because God loves me, I do good works. Big difference there. Big difference. So God has not only saved and recreated us, but he's marked out a path for us to walk, a path of good works that will characterize our lives in the Christian community. And there's a big picture to this that's true for all of us. The great commandment, Love God with all you are and love people. And the great commission to go and baptize and to share the good news of Christ and to disciple, to make disciples. That's a big picture that we're all called to. That's our purpose as Christians. Um, in verse 1 and 2, if you go back there in Ephesians 2, it says, uh, you used to live in sin. You used to live in sin. The verb there is actually walked. If you read the ESV or other translations, it says you walked in sin. And that whole idea of walk speaks of a lifestyle, a way of living. That was the way that characterized the way we lived. But now, now we've come to Christ. See, back then we we're under the, the influence of powerful evil forces, but now it's different. We walk in the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. We were created to glorify God and to be in a relationship with Him. That's what we we're actually designed for. That's what we were created for. There's no fulfillment or purpose outside of Him. There's nothing outside of God. We can only find our why, and, and I'll, I'll unpack this as we go, we can only find our why in Him. Um, a while ago, I got my dad's old, sort of mid-90s Corolla, and someone in our family filled it up with diesel even though it runs on 91. And I'm not a very practical guy, but I've got the hose in and I sucked it out and tried to empty it and had to go in through the, the, the back seat and go in through the tank and empty it as much as I can. Then I filled it up with 91 to dilute it. And uh, I went to, this was a couple of years ago, went to rugby, my rugby team's prize giving and I was driving the guys around. Um, if you're ever feeling discouraged, a rugby team culture is not the place to go. Yeah. And so I'm driving this car, and it's putt, 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 sputtering. It's gutless, which sort of, you know. And, and the, all these guys are in the back seat just howling with laughter, mocking me to the days. 
cop pulls over because he sees all these guys in a car speaking to me. They're howling in the back. I'm, I'm looking at this policeman, and you could see the pity in his eyes, eh? I was, you know, I said, oh, it's full of diesel, and it's, you know. They're laughing away. And one of the things you realize is that 96 Corollas were not designed to run on diesel. And I've got a lovely passage from C.S. Lewis who points out that you and I were not created to run on anything other than God. See, the human being doesn't work running on anything else. Doesn't run on anything. Have a listen to these words from C.S. Lewis from mere Christianity. Uh, he says, God made us, invented us, as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel that our spirits are designed to burn, or the food that our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about the Christian faith. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself. Because it isn't there. It reminds me of Augustine's wonderful words in his confessions. Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. See, it's all about him. It's all about him. The culture teaches that it's all about me, and I fall into that trap at times. If it is to be, it's up to me, and I've got to make it work. And I've got... No, no, it's all about him. doesn't work otherwise. You see, my Toyota Corolla was not designed to run on diesel. Between you and me, I don't think men were made to run on tofu, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> hey, that's right, hey? Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. Hmm. Human beings, <laughs> human beings were designed to run on God. We don't run on well on anything else. Uh, Viktor Frankl was an Austrian Jewish uh, psychologist and Holocaust survivor. He was interned at Auschwitz and then a subcamp at Dachau. And he shares his experience in the classic work, Man's Search for Meaning. And for Frankl, meaning is found in finding a purpose for life, and he found it was absolutely imperative for the men that he worked with to find a purpose. Um, and he drew on uh, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who, who, who was anti-God, but there was real power in these words about finding a why. Let, let me read you what, what Frankl says. He says, whenever there was an opportunity for it, one had to give these men a why, an aim for their lives in order to strengthen them to bear the terrible how of their existence. Woe to him who saw no more sense in his life, no aim, no purpose, and therefore no point in carrying on. He was soon lost. So Frankl said, to survive, we had to find a why. The how of daily life was so hard, but you had to find a why. What does that mean? Well, they were suffering incredible brutality. Why not just give up? Why keep going on? Why? And if you read Frankel's book, well, because one day I'll be free and I might see my wife again and I might be able to help someone survive along the way. And, and I'm seeing people that I'm going to lecture to one day that I'm going to share these experiences with and I'm preparing those lessons. That's my why. Okay, so I know why I'm going to survive. How am I going to do it? Don't know, but I'll find out because I've got my why. 
Okay? And he draws on these words of Nietzsche's. He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. Now, Nietzsche tried to find a why without God. But for you and I, God is very much at the center of our why. My whole perspective on life's changed when I came to know Jesus. And so we've got to find this why. Pastor Sheridan, uh, we had a wonderful prayer meeting at ATC a while ago. And at that meeting, he cast vision and he encouraged us all with the idea of having a yes in our hearts. And he shared how he and Jan, their attitude, they work hard to have an attitude of having a yes in their hearts towards God before they even hear what he wants them to do. So they want to have a yes in their hearts towards God. And, and, and what, he, what he said after that was, you know, the how will work that out. That's what he actually, he said, the how will work that out. So I asked him about that. I said, what's your why? And, you know, and, and I imagine having heard Pastor Sheridan preach over the years, his, he loves his heavenly father who's given him a job to do. That's the why. And so when, when God turns up and says, I want you to do this massive thing, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I, don't know, I know why. Actually, in Sheridan's own words, he says it's as a response to the grace of God. Well, God, you've been gracious to me. What can I do for you? He's got his why. How? I don't know. You know? Marriage can be hard sometimes. Why stick it out? Well, because I took vows before Rachel's parents, and I want to honor my parents, and there's the kids, and, you know, and I want to do right by her, so I know my why. How am I going to do it? Don't know. Might have to catch up with Ray. Might have to read a book. Might have to sit down and get some help. But I'll work out why. I'll work out how, because I know why. So, so, so living purpose is about finding our why in God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us, or it asks the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end or purpose of human beings? Answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the big picture. Great commission, great commandment, glorify God, enjoy Him forever. But within that big picture, you know, we're all called to witness, all called to love, all called to forgive, but within that big picture, our uniqueness how God has created us to be, we can find our why. You know, there are people who don't enjoy speaking in front of others, but they love doing the practical stuff and serving and helping. They find their why in that. Not everyone's got to be a preacher. You know? So we've got to find... David Fusitua plays rugby league. Graham Mills is a medical professional. Stan Walker moves in the area, uses his celebrity in the area of music. Sally McDougall works in education with children and works out of a heart for mission. See, see, very different whys within the big why. Finding out who we are and walking in that why. Finding our why in God. In the meantime, if I'm not sure, I just love God and love people. Just get moving. God will show you. But in the meantime, I can love God and I can love people. When I'm starting to get ha and frustrated with someone, I can pull my head in and ask forgiveness and pray his blessing. Everyone can do that. So, knowing our why. Who you are in Christ 
working out your why in the world as a bearer of God's image. Uh, looking at a book by sociology professor Christine Whelan, and she, she asked about how to get a purpose mindset, and she addresses it in her book, The Big Picture. And she says, try answering these three questions. You know, for each of us, what do I love to do? I love to read. Most of my mates don't. We are in a rugby tournament a couple of years ago in Aussie. They all head off to the Melbourne Cup. What are you going to do, Simon? I'll stay and read a book. Oh, don't you want to come? No. I like reading. I like them too. I was socializing in that and doing stuff, but I love to read. I love people. I love kids. You know, and so finding that place. See, I find when you move in the call of God, it energizes you. You know, there are other things you do. They, 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 they take days off your life. But when you're moving in the will of God, it energizes you. What are the things that you love to do? What are you passionate about improving or impacting? Do you want to see people's character grow? Do you want to see children believe who they can be all that they can be? Do you want to work with women? Do you want to work with men? Do you want to work with the elderly? What is it? Do you want to work with a particular ethnic group? What is it that you, that you want to impact? How can I do what I love while being a force for positive change? You might be able to find a career in it. It might have to be in terms of a hobby. But how can I do it? What can I do? Just good questions to ponder around this. Uh, she found that, according to her research, the number one advice older adults would impart to their 20-year-old selves would be to make sure you know your purpose before making big decisions. So as I come to a close, renowned preacher Haddon Robinson says, you will invest your life in something or you will throw it away on nothing. You see, who you are, you are precious. The Father sent his only Son to redeem you. You are an immortal being created in the image of God. Blessed with the capacity for love and righteousness and kindness. So take the blessing that is you and use it, invest it for good in this hurt and broken world. Dare to think, oh yeah, God can use me to bless others and just walk in that. Yes, even me, yes. It doesn't take much to sit with someone in their suffering, to text someone and say, I think you're awesome. To ask someone how their catch-up with family went or whatever. It doesn't take much and you just get moving. Christian minister and author Frederick Beekner said this. He said, the, God, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Out of the uniqueness of who God created you to be, find your why and walk in it. Investing your life in the ways of God Almighty and take part in the coming of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. On a wounded and broken earth. Among people who are dying to know that they are loved and have dignity. Assuaging the world's deep hunger. So invest your life. Glorify God who is rich in grace and mercy. So I pray may you know who you are in God. May we all know who we are in God. And may we know our why in serving Him 
And may that wind, the wind of his spirit, fill our sails and drive us on, ever onward. Let me pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for your love. And I pray, Lord, for your spirit to be among us that we may know ourselves as deeply loved, as accepted, and to be able to in turn reflect that love and acceptance into this world. Help us to have a secure identity grounded in the knowledge that God our Father loves us. And may you fill us with a sense of purpose, a why, Lord, that orders our steps, that energizes us with the power of heaven to glorify you, to build up your church, and to witness and serve and to evangelize a world that needs to know you. And all of this, Lord, I pray that day by day you would help us to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly, day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful, Simon. Wow, isn't that some food for thought? Wow, really, really great. What was that, sorry? A banquet, indeed, indeed, yeah. I, I, um, I just want to thank you, Simon. That was really, really, really something. You put a lot of thought into that and just really appreciate what you've, you've brought this morning. So God bless you. Yeah. Wow. message like that makes me just want to really sort of go away and ponder. Just have a jolly good think. So maybe that would be a good idea to do after this is to find some space, maybe with your spouse or a close friend, and just have a chat about those uh, three questions that someone put up, uh, and just draw on that, ponder that. I think it would be really good to take space to do that, so, so why, don't, why don't we do that? So, um, but why uh, every eye is closed and head, every head is bowed? This morning, if maybe you're struggling with your why, maybe you haven't found the place of being in relationship with God, or if you did, maybe you're not as close to him as you know you should be or would like to be. And our Heavenly Father gives an invitation to say, come on in. Come with me. It's the best place to be. This is the purpose of living, being close to Jesus. And so if you want to say, yes, Lord, I want to respond to the invitation to, to be with you, to be living in your presence, to be in relationship with you, Every eye is closed and head is bowed. Can you give me a wave? That's great. Thank you. Cool. Father, we thank you for the immense privilege it is to know you. The immense privilege it is to be called the sons and the daughters of the living God. And Father, I thank you for your embrace around each one of us. Father, I thank you that you believe in us, that you honor us, that you love us, that you care for us. And Father, as Simon has ministered today, Father, I pray that we would live with such a commitment to the why. To love you, to know you, to enjoy you, to serve you forevermore, Lord. 
And uh, as we would leave this morning, Father, I pray that your favor would be upon each family and that we would ponder these questions, Lord, becoming closer and closer to you day by day. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Well, church, I encourage you to um, maybe connect up with somebody over lunch. Would be good today, wouldn't it? Some uh, 